Well, I hope you brought a Bible with you this morning. If you did, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. Nearly every Sunday, when it's time for us to worship as stewards and engage in acts of stewardship before, before the Lord, I will reference some of the words that come from the text we're going to look at together this morning. Now, I know some of you probably already started clicking buttons because, well, I showed the kids an offering envelope and I've already used the word stewardship, and you already said, whoop, 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 whoop. Don't need to hear this, preacher. I think we do. I think we do. And I want you to understand why. So let's just kind of back up and, and go from the get-go, can we? A steward. Yeah, steward is not a word that's used a lot in today's culture. But a steward is a person employed to manage or look after another's property, especially a large house, estate, or vast properties. What a steward does is called stewarding or stewardship. Stewardship means the management or care of something that is not our own. It's often used to mean the care or handling management of every resource that's at hand. So when we take all of that and we roll it together, we look at what Scripture says and we, we think to ourselves, okay, what is a biblical view of stewardship? We could define it as such, utilizing and managing all of the resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of His creation and the advance of His kingdom. We do that with the understanding of what I shared with the children here a moment ago in Psalm 24, 1, where we read, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone who lives in it. But what does it take? What does it take for us to serve faithfully as stewards of what God has placed in our care? I think Paul tells us. Now, I'm going to pause before we read Scripture, and I'm going to tell you, if you have clicked me off, if you have muted me and said, I don't want to hear about money, unmute me, because I'm not going to talk to you about money. I'm going to talk to you about stewardship. If you hear about money, understand something. That means the Spirit of God is dealing with you, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stewardship. Let's see what Paul has to say about what stewardship requires of us. Romans chapter 12, short passage, verses 1 and 2. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can, well, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Let's see what it is that Paul would say to us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning in these moments that we have together, I pray that you would speak your truth into our hearts. Help us to hear and to understand, to know, receive, 
and to live out your call upon our lives. Father, above everything else, I pray that today we would surrender to you all that we have and all that we are to be used in this great endeavor of reconciling the world to yourself through Christ Jesus. Now, Father, teach us your way and give us the courage to walk in it. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Stewardship is a life-altering commitment. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a difficulty because our world struggles with commitment. There's a lack of commitment to marriage, and so families fail. There's a lack of commitment to the Lord, to the church, to the kingdom of God, and so we have a lot of folks who call themselves Christians but never darken the doors of a church and never engage in any type of personal ministry or work. There's a lack of commitment to evangelism. And so the vast majority of people who sit in churches week in and week out, if they're honest and put in an environment where they won't be embarrassed, they'll tell you they haven't shared their faith in Jesus with anyone. I think all of those things are being addressed by Paul in these verses that we read together. He challenged believers to commitment, to surrender, to sacrifice. He offered, he used terms like to offer or to surrender, and he called on us to do it very specifically in regard to mind, body, and will. And so I want us to look at these verses. You got your Bible open, keep it open. We're not going to leave this area. We're not going to leave right here in Romans chapter 12. But I want us to look at this together this morning, beginning with a call to surrender your body. Your body. Just take a look at this. Do you hear the passion in Paul's writing? Do you, do you hear the passion in his words? Do you hear the passion in his voice? He says, I urge you, brothers. Another translation of this says, I beg you, please. I like a, a, another one that says, for God's sake, do this. It's a matter of us. Hearing that cry, hearing that call, sensing that emotion. There is an urgency, there is a pleading that is in this call. What's the call? What's the cause? What's the reason? Why is Paul so compassionate and passionate about this? Did you see the very first word? Therefore. Okay, what does therefore mean? It means you need to stop and see what it is. Therefore. All right? So if you want to know what it is that Paul is talking about here, you've got to back up and you've got to look in the previous chapters. And I'm not going to go all the way back down through this thing because I want you to understand the letter to the Romans is one of the most amazing theological treatises that has ever been written. But when you get to chapter 11, and I really think that's what Paul is building upon here as he rolls into chapter 12, chapter 11 is about the body of Christ. It's about the church. It's about people like me and like you being engrafted into the kingdom of God. We are becoming the kingdom day by day. And those who come to know Christ, they are engrafted into the vine. Here's the hard part about this. Sometimes we look at the people on our right and our left and we say, I love you. I want you to look at somebody on your right or left and tell them I love you. Can you do that? 
And sometimes we look at the people on our right and our left and say, I really don't like you. (laughs) No, I did not ask you to share that. But the reality is that whenever we come to Christ, we are engrafted into the vine. We are connected. We become one in the body of Christ. Paul continued in chapter 11. And he said in chapter 11 that it was his desire, the deepest desire of his heart, to see Israel saved to see his kinsmen, to see the people that knew of God but did not know God to come to know him. He says, this is what we're about. This is what the church is about. This is what the body of Christ is about. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. He wasn't writing to lost people. He wasn't writing to the folks out there who we look at and say, they're the problem in this world. Now, he's not writing to them. He's talking to us. Those of us who believe in Jesus, those of us who've been born again, we're the ones he's calling brothers. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, how can we carry out Paul's request. How can we actually give ourselves away? It's easy because we are looking at life in view of God's mercy. That's what he said. Did you you read it? I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. God's mercy is wrapped up in his love. It's wrapped up in his grace. It is wrapped up in his offer and his gift of salvation and eternal life. We look at everything he calls us to do through that love, through that grace, through that salvation, through that eternal life. Everything ought to be filtered through that lens. Well, what's his request for us? I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Wow, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Oh, there's a lot of debate today on what that means. There are a lot of folks who say, well, you know, that was meant for the first century because those believers in Rome, they were first facing persecution, and and they were dealing with Nero, and Nero was using them as as streetlights to light up the streets of the city of Rome, uh, dousing them in pitch and setting them on fire. And so it was was Paul's way of saying, it's okay, just hang it out there and see what comes and sacrifice your body, it's all right. But that doesn't apply to us today. I disagree. I think it does apply to us today. I think we have to be willing. Listen, we may not be facing Nero, praise God. We may not see the bodies of Christian people being used as streetlights hanging up and down the avenues of Wichita. Praise God. But I want you to understand that there have been more Christian people martyred for their faith in the last 120 years than there were in all of the time between Christ and the last century and a half. 
There are still believers all over the globe who are sacrificing their bodies as a living sacrifice. And my friend, the day may come. You or I may be called to do that in this place. It may be that God may call some of our young people. He may call some of us to go overseas to serve in missionaries. We might find ourselves in a place where it becomes a reality to sacrifice our bodies, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Are we ready? This is Paul's challenge. Get ready. Be ready. Is it still needed? Is it necessary today? Well, one writer said, the physical body of the believer is to be put at the disposal of God. That means it's already sacrificed. It's just, what does God want to do with us? Listen, if we are born again in Christ, if we are followers of him, if we have, in fact, been buried with Christ in believer's baptism and resurrected to walk in newness of life, then we are one with him. And as he laid down his life and gave his body away, we must be willing to do the same. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself? Are you willing to offer yourself? Say, Lord, here I am, whatever you want. Oh, by the way, people say, well, that's just going a little far, preacher. You're getting a little radical. I want you to look at the end of verse 1. What does Paul say? This is your spiritual act of worship. If you've got a King James Bible in your hand, it says, it's your reasonable service. I liked another translation I looked at. It said, it's the intelligent thing to do. I'm not very intelligent, and I'm certainly not told that very often, so whenever I read that, I think, cool. If I'm doing this, I'm intelligent. What's this mean? It's a spiritual act of worship. See, I want y'all to understand something, because this is one of those things that's always just kind of got to me. I grew up in church, and some of you have, some of you haven't, but I grew up in church. And you know, it's bothered me as an adult to look back over the years that I was growing up in church, in the body of Christ. I, I was loved, I was nurtured, I was taught. They helped me to become who I am. They helped me to find my calling, to hear my calling, to, to discover how to follow that calling and to prepare for what God had called me to do. I mean, I, listen, I love the church of Jesus Christ. Don't ever mistake that. Because it has been such a huge part of my life and, and who I have become. But you know, I realized something. As I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of teaching about stewardship. And so it kind of, to me, you know, when I was growing up in the church that I grew up in, it was kind of like giving your tithes and offerings. That's kind of an afterthought. It was just something we do. No. It's part of our stewardship. And stewardship is a spiritual act of worship. That's the reason why every week I try to slow us down and say, stop a minute. Think about what God has done, what God has given, and how little God is asking in return. We need to be, we must be, engaged in a spiritual act of worship. That's what stewardship's about. So when we, what did I do with it? I had it in my Bible, I took it out. When we take that envelope, 
And we put something in it. And the plate goes by and we, we drop it in. We didn't just give our money away. No. What we did was we said, Lord, I'm yours. This is what you asked. Here it is. I surrender. It's an act of worship. It's a moment of spiritual surrender. It is no more less, it is no less worship than when we stand and we sing praises. It is no less an act of worship than when we open the Word of God and stand in honor of the one who has given it to us and we read it. It is an act of worship, a spiritual act of worship. I want to make sure you understand that. Because here's the reality. We surrender our bodies. If we're willing to give our bodies away, we're willing to give everything. What to you is more precious than your life? What to you is more precious than your health? What to you is more precious than what you have right here in front of you that you're holding on? Some of you are sitting there holding on to yourself for dear life right now. He's asking me to turn loose. No, I'm just asking you to offer it. Who knows what God might do with that? But know this, if we surrender our bodies to Christ for His use, it will lead us. It will lead us to a place where we will then surrender your mind. Surrender your mind. Look as Paul continues on here. In verse 2, he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I just want you to understand something with me this morning. There is so much competition for your mind today. It's true for all of us. I don't don't want to even think about what the world's going to look like 50 years from now. I am so thankful I'm not going to be here whether the Lord comes back or he just takes me home. I I don't care. I just know this. As much as it has changed in my lifetime, if it continues to change at that pace or continues to accelerate as it has been, man, I don't even want to think about it. The sources of input are almost innumerable now. There's so much to read. There are so many books and so many papers and so many periodicals. And if you get online, there is no end to the materials that you can read. And a lot of it's fake news, by the way. But that's beside the point. And there's so much to see. Everywhere you go, there are movie theaters. There are videos. There are TVs. There's a computer screen, and that's a scary thing, too. But there's so much to see, to take in, so much to absorb from so many different sources of mental sensory stimulation. Did you know the prophet Daniel said that as the end approached that knowledge would explode? He did. It has. You know what that means? The end is near. Knowledge has exploded just the way that Daniel prophesied it would. And we have more access to more information to learn than anyone at any time previously in history. And in the midst of all of that input, Paul says we need to renew our minds. How do you renew your mind?
See, a lot of times we throw verses out and we just kind of zip through them. We don't think about what they say. I want you to think about what he says right here in verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we go about renewing our mind? Every one of you could make your own list. But you're all staring at me like you expect me to give you something, so I'm going to tell you what I'd suggest. Learn occasionally to tune out the negative. Our world likes to beat us down mentally by piling onto us and filling us with negativity. Some of it is certainly well-intentioned and probably true. But can I just tell you something? Whenever we start to become a negative people, we lose the ability to communicate a positive message of hope and life in Jesus Christ. So learn to to tune out some of the negative information. And while you're at it, since you're tuning that out, you should have some downtime. So develop a quiet time with the Lord. Spend time in the Word of God every day. Spend time with God, talking to Him. And take time to just be still. Just be still and let Him speak to you. Develop that devotional life. And while you're at it, when you start looking in the Word of God, start looking for His promises. Focus on the things that God says He is. Focus on the things that God says He will do. Let Him begin to fill you with hope and life and goodness because of all of His promises. And whenever you see God do something, rejoice in it. Now I know some of you say, well, I don't see God doing anything. Have you ever had a prayer answered? Have you ever prayed? Have you ever asked God about something? Well, if you've prayed and if you've asked God about something, you've had a prayer answered. He has told you yes. He has told you no. He's told you not now. But he has answered your prayer. Sometimes we pray and pray and pray and we wait and we wait and we wait. And finally God answers that prayer. Can I just tell you something? I look across this room right now. I see a lot of answered prayers sitting in front of me. I see people we've prayed for who had health issues. We didn't know if they were going to make it through, and they did. I see people we've prayed for whenever they were emotionally or physically or financially devastated, and they've made it through. I see people here who have children in this same room with them. We prayed for them because their children were starting to go down wrong paths, and yet God set them back on course, and here they are. I see all of these things. What am I telling you? I see answered prayers. We ought to rejoice when we see what God does. It renews your mind. Let me tell you another one. I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I wish I could somehow just put this one on a loudspeaker outside right now. But faithfully, regularly, meet with the church. Meet with God's people. Do life together. It allows us to invest in each other. It allows us to teach one another and to learn from one another. It allows us to have a sense of accountability in our lives because we have people who are watching how we live. And you know why they're doing that? Not because they're picking on us, but because we're doing life together. We disciple each other in this fashion. It allows allows us to grow together. And I just want you to understand if we're doing this, if we're surrendering body and mind Eventually, it's going to lead us to the place where you're going to surrender your will. Hey, wait a minute. Where's that at? 
Go back to verse 2. Where it says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I've made it this far. No one's thrown anything at me. So in order to stay on that course, I'm going to make this personal about myself. All right? I know me. I've known me my whole life. I know me better than anyone else in this room knows me. And so I stand before you this morning to tell you without hesitation, without reservation, with no doubt in my mind whatsoever, that by nature, I am stubborn and I am self-centered. I am focused on my own will. I am focused on what I want in life. I am focused on what I think is right and what I think should be and what I think we ought to do. Now, let's move out of the personal realm and make this general. I just described all of us. And our stubborn, self-centered, self-serving wills crave the satisfaction that the world offers. They say, well, he doesn't know me very well. Yes, I do. You're just like me. We were all born... It's the seed of Adam. That means that within us, there is a propensity, there is a bent toward, we lean toward, it is our natural tendency to sin, to pursue the world. Now, I say that, and people say, well, that's such a nice churchy phrase we're pursuing the world what's that mean preacher anybody ask me what's that mean preacher I'm glad you asked I want you to put your finger there in Romans chapter 12 and I want you to go back to 1st John chapter 2 with me I want to show you exactly what this means 1st John chapter 2 find verse 15 Because John explains it. If you don't understand what I'm talking about when I say we pursue the world, John explains it. Here it is, chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, 1 John. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, I just would encourage us, not you, not just me, but us. I would encourage us to do an occasional... But when I use the word occasional, please understand, I mean regular. Occasionally, but on a regularly scheduled basis to do a heart checkup. It's important. It's important to be checked up. Isn't it important to be checked up? We find things when we do checkups, huh? Sometimes we wish we hadn't. But when we do checkups and we find things, we have the opportunity 
to repair, to fix, to make right. You know, if we're going to do that, all you got to do is look at, at this passage. In fact, if you haven't ever marked this passage in your Bible, this is a great place to put a paper clip or stick a, a piece of scrap of paper or, or something so that you can find these verses again. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. You say, well, why would you do that? Because this is a great place to do a checkup. What are you focused on? What are your priorities? You say, what in the world are you talking about? Work through a list like this. When I got out of bed this morning and I started my day, who was I focused on pleasing? Am I focused on pleasing God? Do I want to serve him today with everything that I am and everything that I have? Or am I more concerned about attaining pleasure for myself? Oh, John said something about that. He called it the cravings of sinful man. Trying to satisfy me instead of him okay what am I chasing after today who am I chasing after today young men young women don't put someone in place of God Husband, wife, don't put your spouse in the place of God. Listen, they need to be important in your life, but not in the place of God. Who are you chasing today? Are you trying to keep up with the Joneses? Forget about that. Here's the reality. If you're pursuing possessions, if you're pursuing someone other than you are pursuing God, you're off mark. John says it like this. He calls it the lust of the eyes. Whether that be for a man or a woman, whether that be for for a possession, whether that be for a position, whether that be for status and place, it doesn't matter. It's the lust of the eyes. That's the stuff of the world rather than the things of God. When you examine your heart, is it your purpose in life to exalt God? And to make Jesus famous. See, I mean, people say, what do you mean make Jesus famous? That's what we're supposed to be about. Making his name known. Not ours. It's not about me or you. It's not about this congregation. It's not about the convention of churches that we're a part of. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about him being known to the world. We don't have the ability to save anybody. We can send missionaries out of this congregation to every country on the face of the earth. We have no power to save anyone, but Jesus has the power to save. It's his name that must be exalted. Too many people get caught up just trying to make themselves known. I want to make a name for myself. I want people to know who I am. I'm going to change the world. You watch me. Oh, John talked about that too. You still looking there? See what he said? Boasting of what he has and does. Wow. I think every now and again we have to have a truth to hang our hats on. And I want you to get this truth. Are you ready? Don't ever forget this truth. This is the truth that John gave us at the back end of this. 
the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's the reason that Paul said, I urge you, brothers, I plead with you, my friends, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. How strong is your commitment to Christ this morning, brothers and sisters? When your family around you looks and watches, when, when, when your friends, your neighbors look and watch, what are they learning about you? What are they learning about me? When lost people look at our lives, what do they see? Do they see faithful stewards of the Lord who are using everything that's been given to us, our time, our talent, our testimony, our resources, our energy, our effort, in order to make the name of Christ known? Or do they see us as people who are just going through the motions trying to survive like everybody else? And so here it is. Here it is. In one question, are you willing? Are you willing to surrender your all? Mind, body, and will to him for his use today. It begins... It has to begin. It must begin with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking to you this morning about being religious. Hell is going to be full of religious people who never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ that will shape all of your thoughts, beliefs, and practices about religion. Do you have that relationship? If you do, you ought to rejoice in that and say, Lord, I'm ready to be a steward of everything you've placed in my trust. If you don't have that relationship, we got to come back to square one. we got to deal with the most important issue, and that is for you to find that relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how to do that in a moment when we stand and begin to sing, I want to invite you to come take me by the hand. I just tell me, I want that relationship, Pastor. I won't embarrass you. I won't put you on the spot. I won't do anything that will make you regret being here. But I do want you to know this. You can know from the Word of God and you can know by the Spirit of God today that you become a child of God. We'd love to share with you. Are you ready? Now's the moment. This is the time. There may never be a better moment than this one. Pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for moments like these. Appointments to meet with you, to hear your word, and allow you to speak truth into our lives. And Father, I pray for us right now, all of us in this room, 
I'm confident as I can be. There's some in this room who do not know you. Going through the motions, religious, but missing the relationship. Father, I pray that your spirit will convict them and call them. Show them the truth and draw them to yourself. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. (laughs) Paul was writing to born-again believers, and yet he's urging them, he's pleading with them to offer themselves up as a sacrifice. You can be saved and still be holding back, Father. Thank you for showing that truth to us. But I pray that today we would hear not Paul's words, but the voice of the Holy Spirit pleading, urging, calling. That we would be willing to sacrifice all that we have, all that we are, our very lives, our time, our talent, our testimony, our resources, our effort, our energy. That all of it would be placed into your hands so that you might do and accomplish that which brings glory and honor to you. That which will exalt your name throughout the world and make the name of Jesus famous. Father, I can't speak for anyone else in this room. So I speak from my heart. Lord God. I surrender all, all I have, all I am, all I ever will be, it's yours. Father, I pray that you'd call others to the same. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.